Coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss, cause I'm the Pac-Man, unpatchable hardware vulnerability in Apple M1 chips. Next up, zero days of summer. Updates on the Atlassian Confluence zero day vulnerability. And of course, our fun game, Two Truths and a Lie. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 124, recorded on June 13th, 2022. I'm your co-host, Kelsey, still recovering from RSA LaBelle. With me, co-host Taylor, how many birds can sit on a speculative branch, Wilkes Pierce? And last, but certainly not least, special guest, Daniel, not a soccer dive, Charby. There we are. Daniel, you have to give us some context on your intro here. Yeah, Kelsey. Um, in as will become painfully obvious by the end of this podcast, I'm from Germany, uh, hence my lovely accent. And uh, in German soccer or Fußball, as it's called, uh, taking a dive is called a Schwalbe. So no ends of uh, you know playground taunts growing up in school, uh, playing soccer in the in the schoolyard. And my last name being the operative word when you take a dive. It's prepared you to be a CISO today, Daniel. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> Who would have thought that would have become uh, so transferable? Um, <laughs> so Daniel is our CISO, if I didn't just make that clear here at Domain Tools. So we're always super excited to have guests on and, and we've been eager to get Daniel on the podcast for a very long time now. So Daniel, super excited to have you and Taylor, I guess it's okay that you're here as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to be back. Just kidding. It was great to see both of you, by the way, at RSA last week. Hard to Yay. believe in person time. Oh my goodness. It was very weird, but also awesome at the same time. It's true. I feel like I'm still recovering, but genuinely, can't get enough sleep right now. I just socialized enough for the entire year of 2020 and 2021 combined, I think. Yeah. It's time to hibernate from socialization. Just yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I hate to tell you, this little thing called Black Hat is coming up, so... Uh... No. That bespoke little show? What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody goes there, no. No, 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 no. There's only one of them, too, not three. That happened at the same time. No. Uh, summer camp! Woo! I'll, I'll recover by summer camp. That's my plan. Got a 10-step plan to recovery by summer camp. Uh, but for everybody that we saw at the show, it was so great to catch up. I know there were a number of um, previous folks that have been on Breaking Badness, including Ryan Kovar. We had Alan Liska, Joe Slowick, of course, the wonderful Joe Slowick. Um, Alyssa Miller ran into you at um, the Grove, the famous Grove. Charity Wright as well. Just some great some great folks. It was truly a delight. So really nice to catch up with everybody and um, just have a good time. There's definitely a special energy about the conference um, that overwhelmed the the general frustration people have with RSA. <laughs> Everyone was really nice to each other. It was great. They were. It was so great. Oh, well, some stuff, I guess, still happened while we were gone. Super rude threat actors. Um, so let's let's talk about that, shall we? 
So the the first article we have this week is because I'm the Pac-Man. So MIT researchers discovered Apple's M1 chips have an unpatchable hardware vulnerability that could allow attackers to break through its last line of security defenses. So Taylor, this sounds, I would say dire. And uh, the word unpatchable makes me think of the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt theme song. If we want to go back to 2015, can't believe that was 2015, by the way. (laughs) Uh, Unpatchable. So because some of our audience might lean towards Androids or may not be familiar with Apple, can you explain what the M1 chip is? Uh, well, you know, I've got bad news for them, even if they are leaning towards Android, because <laughs> this thing's coming for them. Uh, <gasps> but yeah, uh, so yeah, for folks who have been under a rock for the last couple of years, um, Apple has switched uh, from their uh, Intel x86 chips over to some custom uh, in-house designed ARM chips. So ARM is a, is a processor architecture uh, that lends itself towards lots of cores, uh, low power draw. You know, it, they've practiced a lot in their in their mobile devices. So their phones, probably going back to their iPods, um, you know, uh, way back in the day uh, and then further on with the iPads. Um, but yes, they, they have created these chips um, that have you know, power uh, commensurate with their uh, with their prior Intel chips that they were sourcing and then decided, hey, you know what, let's just integrate the whole stack. So the M1 is the probably the decade plus long uh, culmination of that and getting that into their desktop devices, uh, like the MacBook Pros and the MacBook Airs that have come out over the last couple of years have had these M1 chips, M1 Ultra chip, which is just two M1 chips like fused together, like Voltron together. Uh, and they've also just recently announced the M2, which is kind of the next version of this. However, this kind of flaw in this attack does not really, it's not super Apple specific per se. It just kind of hits on Apple first because they tend to be on the bleeding edge of the um, ARM processing spec. So ARM itself is even a reference design um, that they that they utilize from a processor perspective. And, and you know, they are, uh, as they are Apple, they're kind of always out on, on the, the newest and latest and greatest stuff. And so that's why they're kind of getting hit by this first. The bleeding edge of ARM and an apple. This just evokes Snow White <laughs> for sure. Not not good words to have together. Um, so Taylor, these chips have pointer <clears throat> authentication codes known as mm-hmm. PAC, mm-hmm. Um, which should provide an additional level of defense. But uh, MIT, their their delightful research team, created a novel hardware attack, proving it's not as strong as one thought. So. Um, do you know why MIT decided to do this research and what exactly did they find? Yeah. So this is kind of similar to the vein of, uh, you know, we've seen past exploits like Rowhammer, um, you know, where they were doing kind of speculative stuff against memory, um, Spectre and Meltdown kind of more recently in 2018, uh, which, you know, hit Intel uh, on their kind of um, methodology for how they do branch prediction and speculative execution. So these processors are so fast and, and there's so many cores and so many threads they can throw at things that they will have them, uh, let's say, just chase down 
down code uh, and run run things that you know they they were if say hey two roads diverge in a yellow wood where your processor could go down both of them at the same time and then figure out which one is correct and then choose to go down that branch. Um, so they will have the processor kind of um, executing things uh, to try and get ahead uh, and then, you know, realize like, OK, hey, this is the correct branch. Let's go down this one or, hey, that's the wrong branch. We're not going to go down that one, um, that type of thing. So it allows them to speed up processing a little bit and they've gained kind of incremental um, speed boosts year over year. Um, and the Spectre Meltdown uh, bugs were targeting this on the Intel side, kind of leveraging like, hey, what if we go peek down that branch that the road that was uh, traveled for a little bit and then moved off of and then try to pull information from that road? Uh, and this is kind of very similar to that in that um, they said, hey, we're going to make it more difficult for folks to read uh, things off of the, the speculative branch or the wrong road, per se, um, by kind of signing and authenticating things uh, with five keys that are held at the at the processor level, five different signing keys. Um, what the, the folks at MIT have done here, um, and they've got a wonderful, you know, you know, it's bad when they've got a, a logo and a domain, the pacmanattack.com. Um, and I'm, so, I'm I'm sorry, you guys can't see this, but I'm using uh, bad and air quotes, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, right? Because you know this this is interesting and it's a novel um, you know exposure of a new attack surface. It is not necessarily immediately actionable per se, but um, you know they discovered in the uh, like in the uh, the newest ARM spec. So ARM again, a reference processor design comes up with newer and newer versions. So in ARM eight. 8.3, essentially, 8.3, they came up with this kind of pointer authentication that says, you know what, we're going to sign these uh, these speculative branches, and we're going to always make sure that we know that the stuff that comes out on the other side is the stuff that went in um, uh, on the front side. And so we can kind of authenticate this, per se, to, to make this a little more secure. And what uh, the folks uh, at MIT have done here said, well, wait a second, it turns out that, um, you know, that, that hard work that you did uh, may have been for not. <laughs> so when the MIT researchers shared this news with Apple, what what and how did they react? <laughs> so Apple has come out and said like, hey, you know, we don't think that this is that big of a deal because again, they are really just bypassing kind of a one line of defense that has been put into place. Uh, you know, to help kind of stave off some of these speculative branch um, attacks per se, right? So um, Apple says like, you know what, there's like, you've got to do a lot of stuff to get to this, uh, to even make it kind of actionable. Um, and, you know, for the most part, this is not, this is not going to be that big of a deal. Um, you know, I think that, you know, current state, Apple could, could certainly be correct. Um, but again, this is um, like, <laughs> you know, one of those things where I, uh, it's not immediately apparent right now what the impact of this is going to be, but this is a hardware bug, right? So this is in the ARM reference design. It's in the Apple chips. It's going to be in the latest Samsung chips or the chips or the, the Qualcomm chips or what have you um, that come out that leverage this uh, reference architecture. And so this stuff is going to be there out there in the wild, um, you know, over the next few years. Now, it's possible the ARM folks are able to, um, you know, kind of counteract that in, in some fashion in a reference design, and then they'll get kind of patched in, but this stuff takes years. Um, you know, this, I think the earliest like planning for this pointer authentication stuff started in like 2017, 2018 in some of the reference designs. And we're just seeing it now in the processors in 21, 22, uh, 2021, 2022, I should say. Um, yeah. So this might cost them an arm and a, oh, 
Well, Taylor, with all of that to say, what do you think the right next steps are or what the next steps will be? And is there anything a security team practitioner can do in the meantime to evade the the dangers here that lurk? There, yeah, that's the neat part. There isn't anything. Now, uh, you know, there isn't a whole <laughs> heck of a lot that anyone can do uh, about this at this point, right? Um, you know, we will, folks are probably working on detection, but the problem, the tricky part of this is that all of the stuff um, that, that like the, where the attackers are able to pull secrets or, or get things that they shouldn't be getting. It's happening on the speculative branch side of things. So it is that road less traveled, the road that does not get traveled by the processor. So it doesn't fire off bugs. It doesn't really like, you know, it doesn't, uh, cause a kernel panic or anything like that. Um, as they're trying, as you kind of search for these pointer authentication codes, all this stuff again happens on the, the um, the untraveled branch, <laughs> as it were, and so it, you know it's it's difficult to detect, uh, if not impossible at this point. Um, and you know it, it certainly looks like it'll be with us for a while. Again, the flip side of that is you know the level of access needed to kind of make this stuff really useful is pretty high. Um, but you know I think that probably our, our the the folks over at like uh, the NSO group uh, uh, right that's Pegasus Pegasus spyware kit and, and probably the other groups are, are paying a lot of attention to this to this bug would be my guess um but you know I, I think that you know as it stands right now there's not a whole lot anybody can do about it not named Apple uh, uh well with all that that we just walked through thank you for that analysis Taylor let's let's talk about generally or relatively how bad this is and of course we use our hoodie rating as a structure to do exactly this and it's from a, a zero to a 10 10 is very bad zero is fairly neutral and of course we're playing off of the cliche of hackers in hoodies so daniel i'm actually going to lure you into this conversation and ask what your rating would be for this particular topic yeah, that's a tricky one because you know unpatchable sounds really bad. Uh, so I would say, for the time being, this is probably close to an eight. I would give it an eight out of ten. A solid eight, unpatchable. Just anything with the "un" in front of it. If we learned anything <laughs> from the Titanic, is never good. Um, all right, Taylor, what about yourself? I mean, I'm a, I'm a little lower, just in that. Yeah, it's it is unpatchable, um, but you can kind of. Yeah, it, it's also currently unfeasible for like an exploit, like for it to be part of a chain right now. It isn't there yet, but it is one of those things where like people were running around talking about Spectre and Meltdown kind of before it was proven out in the wild. So I think this is probably similar to that. I'll go like, I don't know, four hoodies and then three quarters of a fifth hoodie. Um, but it, it's just like a sleeve and some of an arm is missing. That's it. Uh, so it's mostly, you see most of that hoodie on there, but you're thinking like, oh, is this like fashionable? Is that a full hoodie? You can't tell just yet from far away. You had to get, uh, the term arm in there one more time, didn't you, Taylor? <laughs> you got to. So cheeky. So cheeky. Uh, we should have like a fashion hoodie, you know, that there's no arms. There's still the hood, but it kind <clears throat> of like shows a little shoulder. You know? I think that's the Bill Belichick hoodie. I think he the cuts Bill Bel- like that. That was very different than I was imagining. <laughs> <laughs> not, <laughs> a little not less very collarbone. Not He's just ahead of his time. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh gosh. And I I forgot to mention, by the way, at the, the onset of this episode that Tim Helming is taking a well-deserved break. I also want to thank Callie for jumping in last week and doing a heck of a job hosting Breaking Badness. She's such a natural. She's already been writing jokes for the show for a while. So just, a, a, you know, hats off to both of them and especially Callie for her work last week. So just wanted to, to say thanks to you too. Um, and with that, let's pivot into our second article of the day, which is zero days of summer, which might feel like a personal attack to you folks living in the Pacific Northwest. Um, but Daniel, this is a pretty hot topic for the start of summer. <laughs> Pun intended. We very briefly mentioned this in last week's episode, but didn't get to the chance of talking about it in depth. So can you give our listeners a background into what's going on here? Yeah, if only the summer would make an appearance here in currently Drury, Seattle. But uh, yeah, hot, hot uh, days of zero days of summer is definitely the uh, uh, thing that's on a lot of uh, secure professionals' minds. So uh, Confluence, which is an Atlassian product, which is a, you know, a wiki, if you will, uh, had yet another uh, no-auth, there's this other no in front of it, uh, remote code execution vulnerability, meaning you did not have to be able to authenticate to the system. You don't have to have a user account. And if you sent the correct malformed uh, uh, packet at the Confluence server, you, under the right circumstances, could remotely execute any code, arbitrary code you wanted on a system. So that's that's pretty bad. Um, and it's also not the first time, unfortunately, this has happened. So uh, as as those of us who are charged with protecting Confluence on-prem, I should say, servers, so if you run them in your own data center, uh, this certainly caused a bit of a stir uh, a couple of weeks ago. Now, I know, and I think most of us know, that MySpace was originally created to host music. And I do wonder if wikis were intended for for DJs, like wiki wiki, and then things just happened. But um, just hit me how much that sounds like a, a bad record scratch motion. Well, uh, to quote uh, a fellow German here, uh, Flula Laborg, uh, I think you would be 100% uh, in agreement with you. <laughs> Well, Daniel, as you mentioned, this isn't the first time Confluence has experienced a remote code execution vuln. Is that right? That's correct. And it's once again in the OGNL, the Object Graph Navigation Language, where this flaw lies. Uh, OGNL is an open source expression language, which you know effectively lets the, the web page that is being rendered communicate with the backend uh, Java stack. Uh, yes, Confluence is written in Java. And uh, they had a similar uh, remote uh, code execution vulnerability uh, back in late 2021. So I don't think this is the last one we've heard from this particular component of the application yet. And Daniel, do we know who's behind these attacks and what kind of exploitation techniques have been used, at least at this point? Uh, this is, of course, the million-dollar question. If we knew that, uh, you know, we would all probably be doing different things right now. Um, it's it's attribution is really hard. So I this is definitely being used, uh, you know, by 
entities, group of threat actors that are curious about potential proprietary technologies, because what would, what do you put on a wiki? Typically, company internal information that uh, you don't necessarily want others to see. So it's a it's a great opportunity to collect open source intelligence. Uh, by that, I mean not classified intelligence, but still proprietary that could really hurt a company if that was uh, publicly released. So I would say it's probably in the commercial uh, industrial espionage, espionage space where that's uh, very popular right now. But uh, it's kind of hard to say because you could also like deface uh, an internal website and cause some stir. So I think in the sort of activist hacker group, this could possibly be very popular as well. I'm thinking it would behoove us as a podcast to invest in like an espionage sound effect that we play every time that word is used. 100%. <laughs> what does espionage sound like? Ideally, it's very silent. Yeah, I was going to say, probably pretty quiet. <laughs> we'll just have a moment of silence. Uh, just It's just very quiet after someone says espionage. Um, well, what kind of mitigations, Daniel, then have been put in place, especially after what you just expressed of not really knowing who's behind it, how they got there, what what can really be done in that in that uh, situation? Yeah, the immediate recommendation from Atlassian was uh, you know put it behind a web application firewall. Uh, you do have to be able to talk to the vulnerable server over the network in order to exploit it. So if it's internet exposed, uh, the immediate recommendation was to try to limit that access. And and as a CISO, this is one of those days. You know, I'd, I'd like to have a uh, what I refer to as the big red button that sounds the alarm that goes along with the big red switch, which I can throw in an emergency that just shuts everything down. Um, in this particular case, uh, I actually <laughs> got to use that Albite virtual Big Red uh, handle because uh, without a patch available in the you know, first 24 hours, uh, the risk of something bad happening was simply too big. And so we just simply shut our Confluence server down uh, just to be overly cautious until a patch was available, which did come out the next day. So, you know, kudos to the folks at Atlassian for a quick turnaround there. But considering it was discovered on May 30th, there was that sort of two-ish day timeframe where if you didn't know about it, could definitely uh, have done some damage. Interesting. And when you shut it down, did you say it in a very serious voice and say, shut it down? I feel like... I believe I said, make it so. Make it so. <laughs> there always has to be gravitas in these in these moments, right? Um, especially when there's a red button or lever to be pulled or pushed. Yeah, I think that's the one thing that uh, you kind of lose a little bit in a, a virtual remote setting as we all are. I think uh, in a physical office setting, stepping out of the office and just like saying it with a loud booming voice would have been a lot more fun. Instead of that, <laughs> it was over Slack. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I feel like I I I still do it. I still make the noises that are necessary, even if it's just for myself. I think my wife overhears them and questions my sanity a little bit more than she already does. But you just you need to have those moments. <laughs> Some, sometimes my son comes in the room after a long day of work, and he's like, "Huh, it was a tough day today?" And I was like, "What What are you talking about?" He's like, "Well, I can't couldn't hear what you were saying, but uh, the way you sounded uh, just sounded a little concerning." <laughs> Oh, gosh. Speaking of just being in public again, I was noticing as I was trying to walk briskly 
through the exhibitor hall that I was singing like a little tune to myself. And then I realized that wasn't happening in my head, but but out loud I was humming at people as I was aggressively trying to pass them through the crowded hallways. Oh, it's there's so much that we forget other people can hear when you're trapped in your home office for a few years. I truly believe we've gone just a tiny bit feral over these pandemic years. And so being back out in the uh, in public takes a little bit like, wait, how, how do I do this? Am I wearing pants? Oh, goodness. Yeah, had to buy all new pants. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Well, well said, Daniel. Um, <laughs> well, just out of curiosity, too, to to finish off this particular topic, you, you mentioned, Daniel, because there was that gap between when um, the information was known and reported by the folks at Atlassian and when the bad things happened. What are things that folks should be looking for as signs that they were impacted by that vulnerability? Uh, there is a list of uh, uh, indicators of compromise IOCs that has been uh, published. So if you're responsible for administrating a Confluence server, uh, I would definitely check that and uh, absolutely patch uh, for sure. Um, this is to, to be clear, this uh, vulnerability affected the on-prem or data center version. Uh, Atlassian is always very fond, fond of saying that the cloud services were not affected. Uh, which is interesting because as a CISO, I'm fairly cloud averse. And so it's interesting that, uh, you know, the ones that, you know, we pay money for to host in our data centers, you know, get these uh, vulnerabilities with a little bit of a delta, but somehow magically, you know, the cloud will fix us all and uh, they're, they're not vulnerable. So take that for what it's worth. Well, let's go ahead and rate this sucker. Um, Taylor, let's start with you. Zero to 10 hoodies. What is this looking and feeling like to you? Oof. I mean, un, yeah, unpatched. It's like, let's go six and I'll go six and a half hoodies. Just right down the middle. Just a plain old vanilla half hoodie. Um, <laughs> a vanilla half hoodie. Yeah. It's just like, a lot of keys to the kingdom are stored here, right? So, uh, you know, and not, not everyone is good at, um, at keeping the stuff that shouldn't be there off of there, <laughs> if, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, I, I, uh, it, yeah. Anytime you see stuff, GitHub access, that's, uh, it's a big red flag. It is not good for sure. Uh, <laughs> Daniel, what would you rate this at? Unpatched. I'm going to go with an eight again. Uh, this definitely affected some people and made for some very bad days, uh, once you apply the patch, you know, of course, you're just waiting for the next one. But for right now, uh, it, you're in better shape. But unpatched, uh, I'm going to give it an eight. The week of eight for Daniel. Coming in hot, your first episode. I like it. I respect it. <laughs> well, that's all we have for our two articles this week. Daniel, thanks for your analysis as well and, and diving into that zero-day volume. Now it's time for our game. Two truths and a lie. And for those who are tuning in for the first time and perhaps have forgotten how this particular game works here on Breaking Badness, we're going to play the traditional game of two truths and a lie. But of course, rather than talking about ourselves, one of us co-hosts is coming to the show with three headlines, and two of which are, are things that have actually occurred here in recent weeks. And one is a lie or 
perhaps a prophecy. It's always hard to know. So um, this week, I believe Daniel is playing on behest and behalf of Tim Helming. So I always remind people, this is a great opportunity to get what you need from folks as their points are on the line. <laughs> so Daniel, are you ready to read? I am ready. All right. That's confident, Taylor. We're in trouble. All righty. First headline. Optimism crypto hack victim hopes thief will give back $15 million. No boy. That's headline number one and headline number two. Classified military documents leaked on War Thunder Forum for the third time. And last but not least, Canadian government slams Tim Hortons for using its app to spy on customers. Oh, no, Timmy. How could you, Timmy? Tim bits and bites. Not good. Um, Oh, my gosh. These are good. Taylor, do you have any gut feelings here? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it's <laughs> uh, for me, I think it's that first one. The optimist. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I feel like I've heard about the second one being true, unfortunately. <sighs> How can you win a fight on the internet if you don't disclose classified information about your main battle tanks? <laughs> oh boy I'm going to double down with Taylor he seems confident and I'm not I have a 50-50 and so I'm going to leverage his capabilities and say that number one is Daniel's deceit so the deceit actually goes much deeper than that and I have no. to have a confession to make um, <gasps> I uh, co- uh, conspired with Callie and they're actually all three actual headlines oops all yes. bears no Nice. We've been tricked. Oh, man. What does this mean for points? <laughs> it means I'm this farther out. behind than I ever have been. <laughs> <laughs> I think it means full points because how absurd it is that any of these could actually be real, and now they are. That's true. And they are. The optimism one is especially painful, I will say. I mean, 15 million is no chump change, but uh, considering some of the other crypto losses, you know, Maybe that person kind of you know, got off easy a little bit. <laughs> I'm sure they'll use that. I mean, hey, we could have lost more money. <laughs> <laughs> could have been worse. Could have yes, been I heard worse. this Breaking Bad podcast and they said that we could have lost more money. This, I did a great job. <laughs> <laughs> Pat on the back. Pat on the back. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, Daniel, this is the first time we've ever been snuckered on Breaking it. Badness. Well, thanks for being good sports about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to go cry in the corner later. So it's just for the sake of the recording, I'm going to hold it together over here. <laughs> oh my gosh. Excellent. Well, I, gosh, I think that's all we have this week. We've just been coming back from a week of shenanigans while that's been happening. Just kept it right where we left it. Um, and I'm sure there will be more to talk about here next week. <laughs> So, Daniel, a special thank you to you for your first guest episode. Taylor, I know you're off once again 
um, to another in-person show. Is that right? Yes, I'll be off to uh, Splunk.conf this week. Uh, when when does the podcast? Like, I, I think I might be back by the time this comes out. <laughs> the podcast always comes out on Wednesday. Um, oh, okay. So look, I'll be there on Thursday morning. So if you hear this podcast on Wednesday and you're at .conf and you want to come down and roast me um, for, for being last place on Two Truths and a Lie uh, throughout <laughs> the whole year and just being generally awful at it, uh, then yeah, <laughs> that'd be great. <laughs> That's a hard thing to roast somebody on. Taylor, you're such a bad liar. Damn, you're too trusting. Shoot. That's on you, man. I just yeah, believe well, my coworkers. What do you want? <laughs> yes, always trust to see so. Right. <laughs> oh, excellent. Well, good luck out there, Taylor. Stay safe. And to everyone coming back from RSA, I hope you are recovering well, getting plenty of water, full meals, um, not walking around the city of San Francisco for eight plus hours a day, et cetera, unless that is your, you know, what brings you joy in life that I'm sorry that, that you're not there and able to do that. Uh, but it was so great to be back here again, special thanks to Callie for holding it down last week. And we'll be back next week for yet another episode of breaking badness. See ya. Ta-ta for now. Bye. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at domaintools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's all we have for this week. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click. <laughs>